0: So a couple things to share with you this morning. One, I probably should have done this during the prayer time, but I know many of you are aware that on um, Thursday night we had our church conference for consideration of the, the future um, plans for the church. And, and as I said, as many of you I know were there, uh, the, the plans, both the building plans and financial plans were unanimously approved. So we're very excited about that. So we will um, begin the next process of moving toward Uh, what you've heard so much about for really over a year now which is the expansion of our facility and our our worship space it'll probably be later this year or very very early next year before you actually see the physical signs of that beginning because of permitting and and other processes that have to um, happen first but we're very excited so that is is moving forward so thanks again for all of you that were part of that uh, on Thursday night so that's a wonderful uh, celebration this week and then as I also uh, shared with you graduation week and I, in, your, in your bulletins this morning you see brief bios of, of all five of the, the young people that are graduating and um, this is a remarkable class of young people and I know I'm biased to one of them um, but I'm proud of all of them and you should be too because uh, these kids are your kids uh, these kids this is a group that has grown up in this church. This is a group that is active in the ministry of this church in a lot of ways, every single one of them. I think RJ, my guess, I'm going off the top of my head, RJ probably been the longest uh, here because he was baptized in this church. Uh, but most of these kids started being connected with us as elementary school students. Um, even Lily Pepe, who is the most recent uh, part of this group to, to come to the church, Uh, had been connected to us for many years before her family started attending here. Uh, And so we're just super proud of these kids. And they are all friends. They've all been at each other's graduation parties all week. They're all incredibly accomplished. Each one of these kids, all five of them, are in the top 4% of their graduating class. Yeah. All five of them are National Honor Society. And so they're just... And then all five of them have a lot of um, accolades and accomplishments and and ministry involvement we're going to have them up here at the 1111 service but the other thing is all five of them are friends and they've they've been together and and part of each other's lives for a lot of years and that's just been really neat to see. They're the best of, of what happens in the life of a young person when parents and community of faith are joined together in raising a child. And um, or children. So they have a video. We're going to show you the video. They're not here. Obviously, they're not here at 815. But uh, but they did Joe. Joe and Julie put together a video of pictures of, of many of these kids of all of these kids. I'm sorry. And um, they picked the music. It's not music you would traditionally associate with a church setting. But you'll get it. You'll absolutely get why they picked it. Um, because of the relationship they have for each other so that with each other so they choose, chose the music so um, ray as you're able let's uh... let's fire that up so no one told you that was gonna be this way Your
1: job's a joke.
0: Uh, y'all know what that's a theme song for, right? What show? Friends. 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 Alright, just making sure you got the connection there. So again, uh, we're we're very proud of, of these young people and and uh, all of them. And, and like I said, all those pictures. I don't know if you caught the picture of Lily and Jay, but Lily was standing on a chair to uh, <laughs> to be as tall as Jay is. So So anyway, and so as we turn this morning to our To our message. I started to to think through this morning, framed a little bit in what I would what I would want to say to to you know to my daughter and to these these kids, but but really a word I think and a a word of of challenge um, and reminder, if you will, to to each of us. And it'll come and we'll turn in a moment to 1 Samuel chapter 8, because this is where we find this this word, this this challenge to us. And uh, it it reminded me as as I was processing of a a story, you may have heard it, it's it's not original with me, but it was uh, a man who who made the mistake of forgetting his anniversary. And this is an important, we got to learn from this, my anniversary is tomorrow, so I need to make sure I pay attention. He had forgotten, completely forgotten his anniversary. The day came, he had nothing for his wife, and she was furious. And so in a a fit of of anger, she said, you had better get this right. Tomorrow, when I wake up, there had better be something in that driveway that goes from zero to 200 in less than six seconds. (laughs) Zero to 200 in less than six seconds. So he got on it. And that next morning, when she woke up, he'd already gone to work, and she jumped up, and she looked out the window, and there in the driveway was a box, beautifully wrapped with a ribbon on top and she remembering 0 to 200 in less than six seconds she ran out there excited and she opened that gift and when she did it was a bathroom scale (laughs) his funeral was two days later Now, here's here's where I'm going. Here's where I'm going. Be careful what you ask for. Be careful because she got exactly what she asked for. And so we have to learn sometimes to be a little careful about that. And so let's, let's use that as a segue into 1 Samuel chapter 8. Because in this text, Israel asks for something. We're in uh, this time in the history of, of the people of Israel between um, the, their exodus and their out of Egypt and their taking over of the promised land and before the, the era of the kings that would come. And this is what, um, what we read. It says, when Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel and the name of his second was Abijah, and they served at Beersheba, but his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel. They came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. But when, they, but when they said, Give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king. He said, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest and so others to make weapons of war and equip, and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perform, perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and take them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the Lord, from the king you have chosen. You will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations and with a king to lead us, and go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people had said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, listen to them, and give them a king. Then Samuel went back to the Israelites. Everyone go back to your own town. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray, Lord, that we would hear, we would hear your lesson for us today. As we are reminded of the lessons of the people, generations before us, so they are too for us. Lord, help us to hear, and may our spirits be open to your speaking. We pray in Christ Jesus, amen. Be careful what you wish for. That's, that's the fundamental lesson of 1 Samuel 8. It's a lesson that we learn in life. Sometimes things go the way we want them to go, or we think we want them to go, but they don't turn out the way we wanted them to turn out. Will Willimon is a uh, United Methodist pastor, was a bishop, and is, was, when I was a student, and is again uh, the dean at the chapel at Duke University. And Dr. Williman tells a story one day of a phone call he received from a, a parent, an angry father. And um, he picked up the phone, and, and the father said something along the lines of, I hold you responsible for this. And he said, responsible for what? And he said, my daughter has graduating with a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering from duke university and she is preparing to go to haiti to work in the mission field to dig ditches and dr wilhamin said well i'm sure her degree in engineering didn't teach her how to dig ditches but she's a smart girl and a quick learner i'm sure she'll catch on <laughs> and and the father said this is no laughing matter this is your fault and he said, well, wait a minute, Why, how is this my fault? And he said, she likes you. She listened to you. You filled her with all that religion and stuff, and now she's going to dig ditches. And he kind of got a little indignant, but he kept his composure, and he says, I just said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Didn't you have her baptized? Didn't you take her to Sunday school? Didn't you teach her the stories of the Bible? Didn't you let her be a part of the youth group and go on those youth group trips? He said, this is your responsibility. You are the one that introduced her to Jesus. The father on the phone got quiet and a little meek and said, but all I wanted her to be was a good Presbyterian. And Dr. Willeman said, Well, you done messed up because what you've made is a good disciple. And and the lesson there, in in a different way than we get in 1 Samuel 8, is that sometimes things go the way that we want them to go, but they don't turn out the way we think they're going to turn out. Now, in that story, it was a wonderful way for that young lady to turn out, to take those gifts and talents into the mission. It just wasn't what her father expected. She turned out to be a great Presbyterian. But that wasn't what her father had in mind. 1 Samuel 8 is a similar kind of lesson. When we look at it in the whole of the Scriptures, the the people of Israel in in this time in their history, they're being ruled by judges. They're being ruled by men or women that God would raise up in times of need. And often they were military leaders that would lead the people... Through whatever challenge they were facing, some of the names you know: Gideon, Deborah, Samson, and now Samuel. And it's not an it's not an imperfect system. I mean, it is an imperfect system. I should say its design is perfect, but as as happens when God gives things to us, um, you know, we're fallible, and it doesn't always go as well as as God's design intends it to go. We see this in the church. And so there's some, some bad choices. And Samuel's sons are not very faithful as leaders and, and as judges. And so the people come to Samuel and they're frustrated about that. But, but they have a proposal. And they say, we want a king. We want a king. This is what they wish for. And this is why. And this is what's important. The why of the of the." Question or the request behind? We want a king, and it is this, so that we can be like other nations, so that we can be like other nations, and most probably the nation they're looking at is the Philistine nation. That was the the dominant power in the the area, occupying what we know to be the Holy Land. They were closer to the sea, but they were advanced at least in the eyes of the Israelites. Their their technology was better. Their weapons were better. Their their king was was dominant. Their army was stronger. Their technology was further along. In every way, Israel felt like the rural, uh, underdeveloped neighbors compared to this mighty power that resided next to them. And we want to be like them. And so it's interesting how Samuel takes those words. Because this is a personal indictment upon Samuel because they were his kids that were leading. And again, they were not being very faithful. But even when our kids mess up, we tend to be very protective of our children. And I imagine Samuel would have been stung by the words. But but it's interesting that what he does is he doesn't lash out. He doesn't respond in anger. He goes to prayer said that he prayed to God, and what we get is a very gentle response from God in 1 Samuel 8. And what, what God says to Samuel is, recognize they're not rejecting you, they are rejecting me. They are rejecting me, because in their question, in their request, we want to be like other nations, they had forgotten that in their primary identity, that God had called them and created them and and formed them so that they would not be like other nations. The intention of the people of Israel was not to be like other nations, but to be a light to the nations. The intention was for them to be different and set apart. When you go back and you read, if you read in some of the Old Testament, early Old Testament books like Leviticus, and you see all those rules and all those laws that govern the people, the intention behind all of that was so that they would be different. They would be set apart. That their eyes would be on God as the one who leads them, not on people. And God says, what they're doing is they are rejecting me. They're rejecting me. And what he tells Samuel to do is to warn them. He tells Samuel, he tells the prophet to be the voice of warning that what you're asking for is dangerous for you. And Samuel does it. You know, I, I, the image of Samuel in this role is, is for me, I kind of think of the, the miners that used to take the canaries down into the mine shafts. Remember, if you, if you know, and maybe you have family members that were miners, you know how dangerous that was before they had the technology to determine the, the carbon monoxide and the, um, the other kind of gases that, that you couldn't smell, and, and miners would have no idea were um, at dangerous levels until the you know until the the effects often death would happen so they would take these canaries down in the mines because the canaries were more susceptible and so if the canaries started to get sick or the canaries died they knew we've got to get out this is a dangerous situation so, so Samuel becomes the canary that is kind of warning them. this is a dangerous situation and what he says is he says you want a king So that you'll have someone to lead your armies. Well, who are going to be at the front of the armies you want led? They're going to be your children, your sons. You know, who's going to take the best of the the land? It's going to be the king. Who's going to put your, your sons and daughters to work serving his needs? It's going to be the king. You are going to make yourself subservient to somebody who has this authority and power over you. And it is interesting that after all that warning, those long verses of warning, the people again, and it bookends this, this text. It's at the front end and the back end of the words of Samuel. They say again, we want a king so we can be like other nations. We want a king so we can be like other nations. And the scripture ends with this. God says, so give it to him. So give it to him. And in the history of the people of Israel that would begin with Saul, there would be 42 kings. If we go back and we use as a standard of a good king, faithfulness to God, because that's that's the standard that matters. Not accumulating wealth, not military conquest, but was, in this case, was he faithful to God? There were Seven good kings out of 42, and that's questionable because I put Solomon in the list, and Solomon didn't end well. So there were six to seven good kings. There were 35 bad, unfaithful, selfish, perverse kings. It does not end well, and they would be some victories, but there would be a lot of defeats. They would be taken into exile. The kingdom would be split in two. It leads to the turmoil it leads to the, to the perversion of what God intended for his people to be. Because what they are saying, what, what this declaration means, is that we have chosen to take our eyes off of God and the uniqueness for which we've been called and created, for the special relationship we've been invited to. We have chosen to take our eyes off of God and we are looking to the other nations and we want to look and act and behave and be like them. And again, God never called them to be like them. And friends, the word for us, the challenge for us, is where have we done the same thing? Where do we fall into the proverbial keeping up with the Joneses? Because what they were doing is they were looking at surface level stuff. They didn't know the truth of what life in, um, you know, for the Philistines was like. But they saw what was shiny and new and impressive. And that's what they wanted to be. And I think most of us can identify with the human tendency to look to others and say, man, if I could only be like them, if I could only have what they have, if I could only do what they do, if I could only achieve like they've achieved, if I, Lord, could just be like them. And here's the danger. God didn't call you to be them. God created you to be you. This is what I would say and will say to our graduates. The tendency as they get ready, all of them to go to college, as they get ready to start their life, is to see those who have more in their opinion, who have achieved more, who have accomplished more, who have attained more, and to want to be like them. But for each of those five young people, God has created them uniquely for the relationship with Him and according to their own giftedness and their own abilities and their own Um, special, unique possibilities. But that's true for us. Where are we guilty of falling into saying, Lord, if I could only be like that. Lord, so I could be like other nations. And sometimes, when that prayer gets answered, it does not turn out the way we want it to turn out. I will tell you, in my own life, I've, I've looked. At, and, and here's the thing. It, it not only happens individually, but really, this is a corporate thing. This, this happened to the nation of Israel. And it happens to us in that corporate identity that we call church. We do this all the time. And pastors, and I'm as a pastor, I fall guilty of this all the time. Of saying, man, if we could just do it the way that church does it. Boy, if we just had what that church had. Or if I could preach like he could preach, or I could preach like she could preach... Or I had this gift. And and it is so easy, so easy to take our eyes off of God and say, God, who have you called us and created us to be? And say, but gosh, if we could just be like them. One of the greatest blessings God's given me is the opportunity within these last few years to be in a group of clergy who serve churches in what we call the Southwest District. So they church, some pastors that serve churches from um, Venice to Englewood to um, all the way down almost to, to Naples, and um, we get together once a month. And these are churches that have 1,000 people, 1,200 people, not, you know, that are a little bigger than we are. And, and it's the best thing for me to be in, because I hear the reality of what their lives are like. I hear the reality of their challenges and their difficulties and the, and, and the obstacles they face, and it takes the shine off. Because their challenges and their difficulties and their obstacles, you know what? They're the same as ours. It's the same stuff. They have the same challenges. They sometimes have the same headaches. They have the same frustration. They have the same joys. But all of a sudden, I'm like, gosh, I don't know that I want to be like them. Not that there's anything wrong with them. They're wonderful churches. But I want to be like us. I want to be who we are. We're parish and we're unique. We're different. We're special, you know? <laughs> Mama said we're special. Um, And we are, as they are, as they are, but it, it reminds me, take my eyes off of them and focus on him. Take my eyes off of them, focus on him. That's what the Israelites had yet to learn. They took their eyes off of God, this special, this unique story. They had a story like no other nation, delivered out of slavery, 40 years in the wilderness, led by God, delivered by God, commanded by God. All of these special, unique parts of their story, and they threw it away so we could be like other nations. Brothers and sisters, we need to be careful what we wish for because we just might get it, and we might find that we didn't want it, at all our challenge keep our eyes on God you are unique gifted created in the very likeness and image of God and there's not another person in the world like you that is special we are a church and we are unique and we are gifted and there's not another church in the world like us and that is special and we will see and live into that when we keep our eyes on God and we take our eyes off of worrying about what other people are doing Be careful what you wish for, because you just might get it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we we do thank you for the uniqueness of our story and and who we are, both as individuals, but as as a community of faith, as Parish United Methodist Church. And we rightfully celebrate the way you work in the lives of of other people. We celebrate the blessings and the the impact you have through other churches and ministries and, and people who are equally as committed to serving Jesus. But Lord, help us to remember that, that that is their story, that we should embrace our story and who we've been called to be. Help us to keep our eyes on you and the ways that you will use us to make an impact for the kingdom of God, because we have a unique story to tell. Lord, help us to celebrate that, to be thankful, and to follow faithfully where you would lead us. We pray this in Christ's holy name and the people of God said, amen. Amen.